Well, good morning. You know, I'm not convinced you think it's a good morning yet, so I'm going to try again. Good morning. That's awesome. Um, I so enjoyed just being able to sit out and worship with you all from that side of things and how good that is for our souls. Amen. That's uh, actually what we're talking on this morning. By the way, my name is Lori. I'm one of the pastors on staff here. And we're continuing in our series on preventative soul care. So um, we all know that it's important for us to get preventative health care, right? We hear about this all the time, right? But um, we know that even more important than that is it's important to have care for our soul. So we identified four key areas that we need to focus on. Uh, Relationship, diet, exercise, and rest. So for the last two weeks, Eric uh, kind of fleshed out what it meant to have, um, to be in healthy relationships. And this week, we're looking at diet. What kind of diet does our soul need to be healthy? So uh, we all know there is so much that exists in our world today about diet. Yes? Yeah, we are inundated with it. Um, But... uh, Well, how many of you, when you hear the word diet, get a warm, fuzzy feeling? (laughs) Yeah, no, right? It's like, no, no. I mean, how many of us want to think about deprivation? All the things that we can't eat that we want to eat, right? But whatever it is, I mean, we are obsessed with it. We're obsessed with obtaining this perfect body that we see on the front of every magazine, never mind that it's completely photoshopped in, right? Um, But uh, Bill mentioned a few weeks ago that, on average, Americans spend $20 billion a year on diet. Well, we take a little quiz, actually. Um, So that was how much we spend on diet. Any ideas of how much we as Americans spend on overall weight loss in one year? Yeah, too much, I hear Over $60 billion every year. Can you imagine what we could do with that money in, I don't know, Ethiopia? The $60 billion every year on weight loss. Um, In the year 2000, 24% of all Americans were on a diet. Guess what percentage of us are on diets today? Did someone say 50? Ding, 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 ding. You're right. It has doubled. In 14 years, 50% of us are now on a diet at any given time. The typical American makes four weight loss attempts every year. And, uh, but guess how much weight the typical American loses over the course of one lifetime in pounds? 140 15? How much you lose over the course of your lifetime, right? Accumulative. 270 pounds. 270 pounds over the course of your lifetime, the typical dieter loses. But the bottom line is, what if we were conscious from the very beginning about what we ate instead of thinking later that we have to lose it, Right? There's a simple correlation that most of us have heard, right? You are what you eat. Yeah? Anyone heard that before? All right. So now, 
think for a minute, what did you eat this morning for breakfast if you ate or drank? Okay? Now, I want you to turn to your neighbor, and I want you to say, tell me, do I look like a banana? I don't know. Insert whatever you ate. Go ahead. Turn to your neighbor. All right. How many of you look like a bowl of cereal? (laughs) All right. So we may not literally look like what we eat, but uh, we all know that what we put into our body has got to come out in some fashion or another, right? Uh, I I happen to drink a lot of tea in the morning. There it is, right? Here's my tea. And uh, what comes in goes out. My husband says that nobody goes to the restroom more than me. What can I say? Small bladder? I don't know. But it's got to, what comes in has to come out. But so why would we think it would be any different when we think about, uh, if we know that happens in our physical bodies, why would we think it'd be any different when we talk about what goes into our very souls? If we were only, let's say, a tenth interested in what we put in our souls compared to what we put into our physical bodies, I think we would have solved world peace by now. But honestly, I'm not talking about having our souls lose weight. I'm not talking about have our, having our souls go on a diet. Maybe some of you have heard, um, it's about 100 years ago, and a, a doctor had a lot of tuberculosis patients. And he decided that he wanted to figure out how much the soul weighed. So... Um, Unfortunately, those patients were dying off, and, and he conducted a little experiment. He weighed them right before death, and then he weighed them immediately after death. And he found that the soul weighed 21 grams. In fact, they even uh, made a movie called 21 Grams, somewhat not really about that, but um, a, a few years ago. But despite uh, medicine's attempt to reproduce that, they have not been able to. So medicine thinks it's, they don't hold any weight to it. So we can't say that our soul really has any physical weight. But let's clarify, what do we really mean when we talk about a soul? How many of you um, have the, the impression, it's kind of the Daffy Duck theory of the soul, it's when, uh, imagine Daffy Duck, and he's being chased by Bugs Bunny, and wham, he gets hit by the train, right? And what happens to Daffy Duck? Well, you see this like shadow of Daffy or, uh, or Donald Duck, maybe it is Donald. Yeah, it's Donald. So Donald, you see the shadow of Donald kind of rise up out of his body and he's playing a harp and, you know, it's this shadow soul-like image. Um, and that's what we tend to think of as our souls. We die and our soul rises up to heaven. Really, that's not what the Bible has to say about what a soul is really comprised of. The Bible looks at the soul holistically, that we are, um, every part of us is included in our soul. So, okay, no, not supposed to be on that yet. Huh, okay. Anyway, um, let me just check for a minute, sorry. No. Maybe it didn't get up there. I'm missing my... Well, I'll just have to describe it to you. You're gonna have to, I'm going to give you a word picture, okay? Um, the, the soul is made up of... Well, 
everything in our bodies. Dallas Willard, who is an amazing um, philosopher and theologian, he actually just died last year, came up with this visual of the soul, and I'm going to try to give it to you. Imagine, if you will, a series of concentric circles. Right in the center of the circle is your heart slash will. Okay? It's um, how we choose what we're going to do. So right there is in the center. The next level, the next circle, if you will, right outside that is our thoughts and emotions. Kind of our mind, our thoughts and emotions. That's the the second level of the circle. The circle right outside that represents our physical bodies. Okay? What we eat, what we choose to do with our bodies, or what our bodies actually do. And then right outside there is what they call social, or your personality, our interactions with other people. But then the final circle right outside that is our soul. Now, what's important to know about this is they're not uh, disenfranchised from each other. They all, they're interrelated. And that soul at the very bottom is the fabric that holds all those other circles together. Does that make sense? So the soul is holding all the parts of our body together and enables the parts of our body to work together, either in in a healthy way or an unhealthy way. But it's the soul that enables the parts of the body to work together. You can think about it like a stream. It's the stream through which everything flows through. Okay? Uh, Now, let's consider how this might play out in in real life. I once uh, counseled with a woman a few years ago. We'll call her Susie. And she, unfortunately, grew up in a very um, unhealthy home. Her environment was not loving at all. Her parents um, said that they didn't love her. And in fact, they would repeatedly tell her how worthless she was. And so she grew up with this horrible sense of who she was. And it was an abusive home as well. So at the core of her being, her soul was, was damaged. But isn't it true that all of our souls are damaged? So she began to try to find love in other ways. And she began to seek out men and sexual relationships, trying to find some type of fulfillment for her soul. But she found that it was very temporary. It didn't uh, elicit any type of real satisfaction. In fact, it just led to harm in her physical body. And it led to further feelings of worthlessness and further damage to her soul. She came to find Jesus and the forgiveness that, that Jesus offered But Susie had a hard time believing that Jesus could really love her. So while her heart wanted to tell her and her mind wanted to tell her that Jesus loved her, her thoughts and emotions were so damaged, she couldn't believe that anybody would really love her. Her soul needed healing. Because the soul is what causes everything to work together. And a healthy soul is needed for our heart, our will, our mind, our bodies, our relationships with others to work as they were intended. Now, before we can talk about what our soul really does need, well, we need to understand what it is that our soul craves. Right at the core of who we are. It's this need to fill something inside of us. Inside us. 
that need that Susie had to go find that in, in uh, other men. Or uh, what, what draws a lot of people to pornography, that need to fill up something that would satisfy. But beyond anything and everything, we know that we were created by a creator. And we were created by this creator. Why? To be in relationship with him. That's really why we were created by him. And initially, we walked in the garden with him. And when that relationship was broken way back in the garden, when the fall happened, our souls were broken. Our souls became damaged at the very core of who we are. And we've never recovered from that. As a result, we have this, like, think about like a crater in our souls. They were always looking to fill with something. And until we find satisfaction in the one who created us, until we recognize not only that we need to be with him, but we figure out how to do that, uh, we will constantly be looking for something else to fulfill it with. We need to be with God. Look at what Psalm 42 says. It says, as the deer pants for streams of water, so my soul pants for you, my God. My soul, the core of who we are, thirsts for you, the living God. One day after our bodies have have died and uh, we are with the Lord, no barriers between us, the Bible tells us that we will be face to face with him. Right now, We only see his through a veil darkly. But one day, we will be face to face with our creator. But while we do live on this earth, the more we can learn to walk with God, the more our souls will be healed, and subsequently, every part of us. As well, by the way, as those around us that we come in contact with. Look at uh, Psalm 84. It says, My soul yearns, even faints, For the courts of the Lord, in my heart and my flesh, cry out for the living God. Can you get that picture? Your soul inside, crying out for the very living God. There was a man lived uh, in the 17th century. His name was Brother Lawrence. Some of you may have heard of him. And he was a very humble man. He found the Lord um, in his teenage years. Actually, he found him by looking at a tree, and he noted how the seasons changed. And he believed that there had to be a creator behind it, and that led him to faith in God. And he actually joined a monastery. He was in Paris. And he joined this monastery, and for his lifetime, actually, his, his work consisted of being in the kitchen, and uh, working in the kitchen, and being a cobbler. So he didn't have a, a glorious lifestyle, But he committed himself to learning what it meant to practicing the presence, to to practice the presence of God in his daily life, in his everyday activities. And he wrote a book called that, Practicing the Presence of God. And it's become actually a mainstay in Christian literature because there's so much truth behind it. And it gives us an idea of how we might learn to really walk with God in our everyday actions. And, and a people around him said there was just this peace that emanated from him and this joy. And he was a pleasure to be with. 
and it, it kind of played out in his everyday humble activities. He wrote, Oh, that we should feed and nourish our souls with high notions of God, which would yield us great joy in being devoted to him. So we are to practice the presence of God, to learn what it means to really be with him. But isn't it true that we all practice the presence of something in our lives, whether we mean to or not? How many of us find ourselves um, focusing, obsessing, thinking about worry, fear, um, your jobs? What are you practicing? If your thoughts and desires were laid out right now for the last 24 hours, okay, what generally consumed your thoughts? Let's say it was written down. Um, and you had to... Well, you had to look at it. You had to face it. What would your thoughts be consumed by? How are you going to pay your bills this month? Um, Dreams for your career? Dissatisfaction with your career? Dissatisfaction with yourself? Um, Maybe what you don't like about yourself? What is it that when you're not meaning to think of anything, your mind really goes to? What is consuming our thoughts? I would just like to propose that whatever is consuming our thoughts is ultimately what is feeding our soul. And it's probably a combination of those things, but those things are feeding our soul. And we know what happens after we feed enough junk into anything, right? We feed enough junk into our bodies, what happens? They get sick can lead to permanent disease. It may cause padding or clogging. And it's uh, not a good thing. Sometimes it's noticeable on the outside, but often it's not. How many of you heard about the the guy who seemed to be in such great shape and all of a sudden you found out that he had uh, killed over dead because there was disease on the inside? That's what can happen to our whole bodies, every part of us. Remember the mind, the heart, the will? The thoughts and feelings, our bodies, our interactions with other people when we have, when we feed our souls the junk that we just so often do. And often we don't even realize that it's hurting us, right? Our whole systems, our souls have become almost calloused, if you will, to it. My daughter, my six-year-old and I, have been on a health diet for the last seven months since the beginning of the year. So I realized that both in in my daughter and myself, our digestive systems were just not what they needed to be. They say that if you don't have the right amount of healthy bacteria when you're born, that you won't be able to process food like you're supposed to. And uh, what happens is the lining of your digestive tract can develop um, sores or calluses against those. And after a while, they can build up, and that's how kind of IBS can happen, or colitis, or all these different diseases, allergies, skin problems, you name it. Um, some of you are saying, yeah, that's me, right? Well, I recognize that was an issue for us. So uh, we had to go on a pretty d- drastic diet in an effort to, to heal our digestion. Digestion. One of the first things we had to do was actually get rid of everything that was an irritant to our digestion, which meant we had to cut out like all grains, 
which means flowers and everything, right? All grains, all sugars, except for honey, um, all processed foods. And so we went, I mean, this was heavy detox, right? After about two weeks, it was, it was pretty cool because, you know, granted, this is hard for a six-year-old to do, right? This is hard for my age to do. But let's not kid ourselves. But it was, it was pretty cool because I could always tell if Ellie had cheated because um, she could have as little as two pretzels. And let's just say that being in the bathroom was not a pretty sight. I mean, really, it had to come out somehow, right? And the digestion tract became resensitized to what was healthy or what was an irritant in her body. So as soon as that irritant came in, the digestion is saying, no, 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 get me out. And uh, that's what kind of continues to happen. But as we're healing it, it's, it's actually getting better. But isn't it true that we've become calloused to the barrage of messages that we receive in our lives every day? Not just what we think, but what we see, what we hear. And we don't even recognize it as bad for us anymore. We don't even recognize it as being an irritant to our souls because we're so used to it. I think some of us, probably all of us, could use just a good spiritual detox, right? But what would happen if we intentionally sought to change those thinking patterns? If we intentionally sought to little by little learn to practice the presence of God in our lives? Let's think about what that would mean for a minute. Um, you wake up in the morning and you, you have to remind yourself probably the night before. But you wake up in the morning and you think, oh, God, who you are. And you remind yourself of the attributes of who God is. And you meditate on that. And you go on and you eat breakfast in the morning. And you begin to take God to breakfast with you. And as you're um, meeting other people throughout the day, you begin to look at them and say, God, how do you look at these people? How do you want me to look at them? As I've done that, um, not as often as I should, but as I've done that in my own life in terms of uh, looking at other people and thinking, God, how do you want me to love them? i got to tell you that every... Um, well, I just look at them differently. I look at them. I have this love for them when I look at them. And I have this um, empathy for them. And my soul aches for them because I'm able to look at them more in the way that possibly God looks at them. How would our lives look differently if we were able to practice him in everything we did? Well, in order to really practice his presence... We need to know who he is. Agreed? So as we practice his presence, we need to be able to learn to meditate on his word. Let's look at what uh, Psalm 119 says. Psalm 119, it's an amazing psalm. I love this psalm. It is filled with how much I love your law, O Lord. And it says, my soul is consumed with longing for your laws at all times. My soul is weary with sorrow. Strengthen me according to your word. Oh, how I love your law. I meditate on it all day long. And it's just throughout. Read the whole thing later on. I mean, it's a, it's a beautiful picture 
of how much our life and health and very souls are dependent on the precepts and the word of the Lord. Did you know that um, polls indicate that only 18% of professed Christians read the Bible every day? Do you know that almost a quarter of all Christians say that they never read the Bible? Almost a quarter. That, my friends, is a prescription for an unhealthy soul. And we wonder why we're not doing well. How long do you think it takes on average to read through the entire Bible? Anyone know this? If you were to read it out loud, how many hours do you think it would take? Well, if you look at Zondervan, you know, Zondervan CDs, uh, Bible on CD, the running time is 76 hours. 76 hours. If you were going to break that down into a year, it would take you 12 and a half minutes every day to read through the whole Bible. How many of you could spare 12 and a half minutes in your day? Um... Well, how many of you heard of the series 24? Popular series, right? It ran for about eight seasons. And if you were to watch all um, episodes of 24, guess how many hours it would take you? 200. 200 hours. But how many of us have, like, watched every episode of a certain season? How about Sesame Street? Yeah, right? I know. Me too. Um, Sesame Street. How many um, episodes of Sesame Street do you think there are? Let's just keep in mind that I watched it when I was a kid. 4,300 over. 4,300 because they're still making them today. I'm sorry. That's just way too much Big Bird. We're talking 43,000 hours of TV. And by the way, that's public broadcasting, so you don't have the commercials, right? I have five kids. I've watched way too much Elmo, okay? (laughs) Admittedly, it has happened. But uh, let's take a look at what um, the Government Bureau of Labor Statistics analyzed Americans' lives. And uh, they kind of divided in a pie shape what we spend our time on, if you can see this. Um, the biggest thing that we spend our time with, see that big blue line? I'll, I'll read you some of that. My eyes aren't good enough to do this from far away. But um, 17 minutes on relaxing and thinking, 25 minutes on playing games, using computer for leisure. Okay, that's just totally different if you're a male teenage boy, right? Um, participating in sports, exercise, and recreation, 19 minutes. By the way, this is for the, uh, 15 years and older average, okay? 18 minutes of reading, 38 minutes of socializing and communicating, 17 minutes of other leisure activities. God, I wonder what that other is. But watching TV, 2.7 hours every day, by the way, 2.7 hours. So what would change if we just went to... um, 12 and a half minutes a day. What if we reproportioned some of that time and uh, decided to pay attention 
All right, I'm sorry, let's try this. Thank you, ba, 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 ba. Thank you very much. In classrooms all across the country, right, teachers know if they want their kids to do what they're asking them to, they need to pay attention, right? But how many of us are just not paying attention? I don't think that we're purposefully feeding our souls unhealthy things. I just think we've forgotten to pay attention. Zechariah warns the people of Israel pretty strongly about this. He, uh, he said the Israelites, the Lord said actually, that God's chosen people, the Israelites, were refusing to pay attention to his teaching, and as a result, the Lord's anger was burning against them. Jesus told his disciples in Luke 17, he said, pay attention to yourselves. Begin to notice what you're paying attention to, visually, orally. What are you thinking about? We need to begin to pay attention to this. I mean, let's face it. In this world, we cannot always control what we're being bombarded with. Amen? Especially if you live in San Francisco. How many of us have been driving down the street, and then you're like, oh, trying to distract our kids so they don't see that billboard (laughs) up there, right? Or we forget to turn off the, the commercial in time, you know, and it's something we just did not want them to see. My word, that's, we cannot control what that is, um, but we can control how much we pay attention to it. The other, um, actually, it was a year or so ago, I was driving down the street to pick up my kids from school, and I was talking to my son on, um, on the phone, on Bluetooth, mind you, but uh, we're driving down the road, we're talking about something, and all of a sudden I see this older man buck naked. Yeah, right? And, I, and I'm like, Chris, I'm sorry, I can't even hear what you're saying because there's this man hanging out there for all to see, and I just do not want to see this. <laughs> of course, I had to bring him into it too, right? I mean, I couldn't just leave well enough alone, but it just startled my senses, and it, I could not control that. But we can control many things about what we listen to. I used to listen to a lot of talk radio. And um, I would just kind of find it stimulating for my mind, or so I thought. But after a while... I began to realize that, um, I don't know, I found myself getting kind of depressed about life. And it didn't even matter what the political leanings were. It's just that everything was negative. It was all about what's wrong with our world because positive stories don't sell in the news, right? Not usually. It's all about what's negative. And uh, I decided that, you know what, I needed to turn it off. And so I did, and it was amazing what happened because I turned it off and I didn't replace it with anything, actually. Initially, I just decided to have silence. How many of us are comfortable with silence in our lives? It can be something that really you have to practice, learn, because that silence can, we just tend to want to fill it with noise of some kind. But I found that the silence encouraged me to talk to God and encouraged me to to pay attention, to listen to what he might want to tell me. So we need to meditate on scripture. And one of the best things about doing that is it will change your thinking. You know, my uh, two little children, our two children, Caden and Ellie, are memorizing their arithmetic facts. And our three older ones did that when they were younger as well. And we did flashcards, right? I mean, we spent hours and hours on flashcards. That wasn't on that list. Maybe that was the other activities. But I tell you what, we spent hours and hours on flashcards. And I'll never forget the time um, our daughter, who's 22 now, went to the Math Olympics. 
Woohoo! Math Olympics, right? It was pretty cool, actually. She went two years in a row, and she was a finalist for her school, and so she went and competed against other schools. And you know what? She didn't place. Um, but we didn't care, right? We were just so proud of her for getting to the finals of the Math Olympics. And then a uh, third year, she got in again. And we're like, oh, that's great, honey. You go and just do your best. We didn't expect a lot, you know. Um, she hadn't placed before, but we went to the award ceremony at the end. And, you know, they had six different places that they would list. And so we anxiously listed, like, maybe this will be your year, right? Sixth, fifth, fourth. They just never called her name. And we're like, oh, well, that's okay. I mean, they went on to, like, go to third and second, but we didn't expect anything there, right? Because she had never gotten anything. All of a sudden, they say, and first place with honors, Chloe True. And no kidding, Eric and I look at each other like this. (laughs) And, And no kidding, I was literally in my brain. I was looking around the room to see if there was another Chloe True. Talk about low expectations. But for real, I, was, I just did not expect for her to, to get first place. But you know what? All those years of putting in that, those um, flashcards and those arithmetic facts, when crunch time came, it came out. And she didn't have to think about it. They were, they were time tests. You know what? It was just problems. It was just uh, fig, figures, facts and figures. And she knew how to get those out. And you know what? That's what happens to us when we memorize scripture. When we meditate on his word and we memorize and we hide his word in our heart, when crunch time comes, that's what's going to come out. But it's got to be a practice of something we do that begins to then change our souls, the way everything interacts with each other, our, our heart and our will, our thoughts and our feelings, our bodies. So we're not even aware of it, but it all changes a few weeks ago, God led me to a passage about wisdom. It's in James. And I knew it was something that he wanted me to, to learn and meditate on. But I knew I'd forget it if I didn't, you know, come up with some type of system to do it. So I wrote it down. And I committed to looking at it every morning and just often when I would think about it. And, and I did. And you know what was so cool? So many of the things that... Uh, the actions I've been so struggling with in my life, just, I don't know, things that would spout off in my mouth that uh, I didn't want to, but I just couldn't help myself inside. I found that it began to change the way I thought, and then it began to change the way things came out of my mouth. It began to change my actions as his word was written on my heart. We can't choose what happens to us, but we can choose what we dwell on. Are we dwelling on our failures, what we don't like about our lives, our personalities, and we play those like a broken record? Or are we choosing to think about who God is, what his precepts are, and allowing that to change the very core of who we are? Now, one of the things that's really important uh, the, I mean, the last of the three things that we're looking at in, in how to develop a healthy diet for our soul is, is this. Actually, it's in Psalm 103. It says, praise the Lord, my soul, all my inmost being, praise his holy name. 
We sang that this morning, right? Bless the Lord, O my soul. Praise the Lord, my soul, and forget not all his benefits, who forgives all your sins and heals your diseases, who redeems your life from the pit and crowns you with love and compassion, who satisfies your desires with good things so your youth is renewed like the eagles. We, our souls, need a steady diet of worship. We need to worship him with a thankful heart. This needs to become a part of who we are. Just as we were created to walk with God, we were also created to worship him. And when we don't worship him, we fill it with other things to worship. And if you doubt me, just go down the street to the Cathedral of Worship at AT&T Ballpark. Yeah? We worship the giants, right? Buster Posey, you name your favorite athlete or rock star. But, what was that? Romo, okay, I mean, it's like, it is a serious thing with us, but we were designed to worship God as our core. How many of you, when you've um, been in a particular, uh, I don't know, vibrant time of worship, maybe even this morning, you found that all those worries that you came in with began to dissipate, and it just didn't really matter. You know, the more we practice worship as a lifestyle, the more it becomes a way of life. Because what happens is it becomes a cosmic shift in our perspective. And we begin to look at our life in the way that God does. Or we begin to look at it through the lens of trusting him. Through the lens of knowing he is a good God. Knowing his characteristics. And that he loves us. Along with worship... We need to eat a daily diet of gratitude. Developing a thankful heart. I decided a few weeks ago to practice this in our home more intentionally. I thought, wait, hey, if I can get my kids to like really um, get in the habit of being thankful, maybe they'll be thankful adults, right? Well, I'll get back to you on that in a few years. But so we, we play a little game. And uh, the kids, have, they're on to it now. And I'll say, okay, five things you're thankful for. And you know what? At first, I'd say it was, it was kind of hard. I mean, at first, it was like, um, um, that we have food. You know, I said, okay, we have just kind of have to nix the things that we, like, that happened a month ago. Okay? But what are you thankful for today? And now, it just flows out of the kids' mouths. It's so cool. I say, you know what? I'm thankful it's a sunny day. That was my daughter today. Or uh, my son yesterday. I'm thankful that Christopher, his oldest brother, is moving to San Jose from L.A. Woohoo! He's up there in the back. Everyone say, hi, Chris. He's running sound for us today. Gotta love it. Chris, we need a sound guy. So, um, but it's so cool. We can come up with these things that we are thankful for, and it develops a thankful heart when we acknowledge the one who gives all good things. So often today, do you find that we have this entitlement mentality in our society? Like, we think we're entitled to everything good that we get. Or if we don't, we don't think we deserve it, right? We think we're entitled to two days off every week. We think we're entitled to two months off every year. Oh, wait, that's Europe, right? Um, 
But we think we're entitled to all these things. And we forget to acknowledge God as the one who gives us life, who gives us the ability even to exceed in our jobs, to, uh, to get promoted at work. He is the giver of all things. And when we dwell on that, it changes our focus. Try it randomly for the next five days. Think five things you're grateful for every day and see how it changes your outlook on life. See if it doesn't change your outlook on life. You know, our society is constantly looking for a magic pill, right? The magic pill that's going to clear up all our diet needs, that's going to give us healthy bodies, but while the overwhelming statistics show, this is one stat I didn't tell you earlier, that 90 to 95% of all dieters will fail. They'll regain their weight within the first five years. Only 5 to 10% achieve long-term success. You know how they do it? They change their way of thinking about what they eat. And it becomes a way of life. What they eat, healthy eating, becomes a way of life. Well, it's vital, isn't it, that we change our awareness, that we pay attention to what we're taking in every day, to what is feeding our souls. And then that we choose to to do something about it, that we choose to practice the presence of God on a daily basis, that we choose to meditate on his word, that we choose to develop habits of worship and gratefulness. By the way, not just worship in church every, every week or every month, however often you come, but you've got to have private times of worship as well. That this would characterize what you feed your soul. But ultimately, just want to leave you with this. Today was not about a list of do's and don'ts although it may have seemed like that. But I really hope that we could understand a little bit about what our soul is and what it needs to be healthy, what it needs so that it can help all the parts of our body work together the way it should, in harmony. And when we do that, God promises he will fill us with his joy that is incomparable, his peace, and you know what? That will overflow to those people around us. Let's pray. Father, we just thank you that you have created us to be with you. We just thank you that you have created us to worship you. You've given us the tools that we need to do that. Father, we just um, ask that you would help us to become aware of you in every aspect of our lives. For those who are particularly hurting, I pray, Father, that you would be near, that they would reach out, recognize, and let you be a balm for our souls. We love you today, Father. We just thank you for the work in our lives. We worship you in Jesus' name. Amen.